Good morning, uh, and a warm welcome to all those of you who are joining us. Thank you to Katie and Jay and Kaylee for leading us in worship this morning. Um, my name is Brooklyn Friesen, and I attend church here at Fort Gary, and I am very excited to be here with you this morning. I invite you to pray with me as we approach God's word together this morning. Creator God, you have shaped our beings, knowing who we would be before we were born. Each of us contains your spirit, each of us crafted in your image, imago dei. Your creativity flows through each of us, emboldening us to care for one another in any way we can. May we be perceptive to you, to those around us, and to your word this morning. Amen. All right, so this is our fourth Sunday in our Messy, Flawed, and Faithful series. So far, we have met David the Anointed, the Murderer, uh, and the Friend. And this morning, we will be continuing our series by spending time with David the Musician, and by some extension, the Poet. The Psalms passage we heard read by Katie earlier this morning is from one of the 73 Psalms that has David's name um, in its like superscription, which is essentially just notating a bit of a footnote, like his name's attached to it in some way. There's a little bit of a debate uh, among theologians if this is meant to communicate that David like wrote this psalm or had some other involvement, but the popular consensus is that he wrote them, so for today, we're just going to go with that. So as we've mentioned a few times this morning, David was a musician before he was a king, before he killed Goliath, before, probably even before he was a shepherd out in a field, he was playing music. I'm a little bit of a music nerd, so I did look up what his instrument was actually called, and it's called a kinor, but uh, for the purposes of today, we're just going to go with lyre, because in my head, that is the one thing that actually brings an image to mind. I don't know what a kinor looks like. Um, so yeah, to be honest, I did think that this topic was going to be easy for me. Uh, I love music. It's always been a massive part of my life. I've led music here for a while, uh, at other churches I've attended. I got to lead the Soar Band for a year, which was really exciting. Um, I actually studied opera in university, which is something that some people might not know about me. Music is definitely something that feels like it's in my bones. So then why is it so difficult for me to connect to David the musician? Maybe I don't actually care about music that much? For days, I sat and just stared at the blank Word document on my computer, asking myself questions like, why does the fact that David was a musician matter? What can we possibly learn? I know some people don't even like music, so what are they going to get out of this? So when that mood kind of hit, I do what I always do when I feel frustrated or overwhelmed. I put on some music. Uh, specifically the song Iowa by Donovan Wood and Aoife O'Donovan. It's the kind of song that always speaks to me. It's like soft but interesting. It's carefully crafted and delicately handled. Here's some of the lyrics. I am waiting for this book to get good. I do not have your patience. 
So I'm driving up to Chicago. I get weird looks at gas stations. I did not bring a winter coat. I do not have your foresight. A holistic practitioner told me once, it's why I will not live a long life. I am trying to remember where I gave up, if it was not in Iowa. I've never been to Iowa. I always have a winter coat. Um, but something about this really strums the melancholy in me. The song isn't about me, yet I feel connected to it. We were created to connect. And music is one of the ways we've been literally designed to do that. Now I know, like I mentioned before, not everyone loves music. They don't enjoy singing. My grandpa, who has farmed pretty much all his life, always had the radio on, but it was always just turned to the news. Or he just rode the tractor in silence. Um, but, um, sorry, I lost my place here. There we go. But I invite you to, regardless of where you're at with music, uh, to journey alongside us just for this morning anyway. So rather than me gushing about the connectedness of all things and the unifying thread of the spirit that flows through each of us, uh, we're going to start with some science this morning. <laughs> I take a lot of comfort in science. Uh, that may cause a few people to throw up red flags, but just hear me out. I think science can be a form of worship. I think of someone like my dad, who I see going through the world excited to learn new things about it. Being told something is true is not good enough for my dad, and many conversations include moments where he dives deep into research. And getting to pass on that knowledge that he finds, he just lights up. I love to see that. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and they don't ask you about yourself at all? It doesn't feel good, does it? We want to be known. I have this image of my, in my head of God looking down and smiling at us as we try to figure things out down here. Like a parent to a kid after putting a puzzle piece in the right place, after turning it several times, God is just look, looking down at us and saying, wow, I'm so glad you're enjoying this. I made it just for you. As we learn about what makes up us, we get little glimpses of God. We can look at the brain-music connection and almost, almost grasp something important. And that's been something that's made working on this sermon quite difficult. Um, having something on the tip of my tongue at all times that I just can't quite reach. So, in an article from the University of Arizona, they cite evidence that music can be good for your health. Research has shown that listening to music is associated with upticks in things like immunity-boosting antibodies and cells that protect against bacteria and other invaders. Music has also proven to be effective across a variety of treatment scenarios for conditions ranging from premature birth to depression to Parkinson's disease. We even have examples of using music as treatment in the Bible in a defining moment in David's life when he is requested to come play music for King Saul. 1 Samuel 16, 14 to 23. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, See now, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command the servants who attend you to look for someone who is skillful in playing the lyre. 
And when the evil spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will feel better. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me someone who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse in Bethlehemite who is, a, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a warrior, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey loaded with, a, with bread, a skin of wine, and a kid, and sent them by his son David to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand, and Saul would be relieved and feel better, and the evil spirit would depart from him. So when we find Saul at this part of his story, Saul isn't doing well. He's made some bad decisions, and scripture says that God's favor left him. I can only imagine the pit of despair he found himself in. In an article by Psychology Today, they call this piece of scripture one of the first written occurrences of music therapy, which in a really simplified way of explaining it, is essentially the use of music to work on non-music goals. The author of this article, Dr. David M. Greenberg, received a call from a Jewish scholar who informed him that his theory of the first instance of recorded music therapy was wrong. Initially, Greenberg believed that the Greek philosopher and mathematician Pythagoras was the first one, because um, he would prescribe different musical scales and modes to cure different physical and psychological ailments. David would have existed before Pythagoras. The article goes on to describe the significance of David playing the lyre for Saul. Some assumptions can be made about the style of music that David was probably playing because of the instrument of choice. It's likely to have been something a bit more soft and gentle, perhaps even melancholy. Uh, it is a pretty like, incredible moment in my mind. It's pretty cinematic, um, like a shepherd coming up to a king and playing a song that is soft and slow and like seeing some sort of darkness just lift from the shoulders of this king. But it gets even more interesting than that. So there is a doctor at the Ohio State University, uh, and he provides like, a very compelling hypothesis on why sad music is soothing. He suggests that for some, when listening to sad music, the hormone pro prolactin is secreted. Prolactin produces feelings of tranquility and calmness and emits a consoling and soothing effect. It is released uh, in tears of both happiness and sadness, um, during nursing, for example, and when we feel empathy for someone who is sad. This doctor says that the acoustic features of sad music emulate the features of sad speech, and that these musical cues may evoke feelings of tenderness or sadness, which signals for this hormone to be released. All right, so that is enough science for now, but isn't that just amazing? In the thousands of years since then, music has co-evolved with the human brain. And people have been intuitively using music as self-therapy and therapy for others. 
Our brains are literally created to experience music in a healing way, and we can heal one another using music. God created us to impact one another. There is another sermon within this passage that uh, would have me emphasizing how David is pretty hyped up to Saul as like this handsome, strong warrior guy, but like, don't worry, Saul, you'll really appreciate his music. Um, that contraposition of like a traditionally hyper-masculine set of characteristics compared to the more like feminine emotional intelligence of a singer-songwriter is really interesting to notice because it's the musician part of David that helps Saul heal. I'm just going to like sprinkle that in there and we're just going to move on. <laughs> um, I was going through my Bible preparing for this sermon and rereading a bunch of David's psalms. Um, and I am one of those people who underlines in my Bible a lot, and there were quite a few of these psalms with some very heavy underlinings going on. It flashed me back to my experience in Multiply's Trek program. Uh, I'm thankful for the experience that I had, but the orientation process, uh, the two months we spent kind of together learning and figuring some things out about ourselves, uh, was not easy, and there were some times when I really struggled. I could see those feelings in these underlined passages. For example, underlined several times were the lines from Psalm 60, verse 11 to 12. Oh, please help us against our enemies, for all human help is useless. With God's help, we will do mighty things, for he will trample down our foes. Those are some strong words, um, and clearly the words of a very tired soul. I didn't have the energy to find those words the day I underlined them. They weren't coming from me. The power of poetry and music is that they are written and held very loosely by the author, extended out to the reader with the intent that the words be taken and then used as needed. These old, old words spoke to a sad, tired woman in 2018 and still carried the weight I needed them to. I was searching for words that I didn't have in me. The Psalms are our search for grounding. In the Torah and the books of the prophets, wrote biblical scholar Nahum Sarna in his study of representative Psalms titled Songs of the Heart. He says, God reaches out to us. The initiative is God's. The message is God's. God communicates, we receive. In the Psalms, Human beings reach out to God. The initiative is human. The language is human. We make an effort to communicate. God receives. The human soul extends itself beyond its confining, sheltering, impermanent house of clay. It gropes for an experience of the divine presence. We are hungry for ways to reach out to the divine. David illustrates this hunger in many ways through the psalms that he wrote, through praise and through lament. It's, it is another point in the Bible that we are given permission to feel things fully. Music has this ability to pick up meaning and carry it in past mind and body and into the soul. It creates a clearing, a space to step into that which a space to step into that allows you to interact more fully as yourself. That's the goal whenever we lead worship up here. 
that through preparation and a steadying of our hearts, we're able to connect into the ever-flowing Holy Spirit and invite others to join us there. It's a river we're invited to step into, and music can help create a path to get there. And since these psalms were written, we have taken those words and set them to our own music, as you've heard echoed throughout music that we have sung together today, holding them in our own mouths and shaping them with our own lips. When you sing the words of a song, for a brief moment, those words are yours. The power of music and poetry we set to it is that it enables us to connect with ourselves, with each other, and through those connections, the divine. Uh, to close this morning, I would like to share with you one of my favorite poems. Uh, it's called, She Said, How Do You Know When You Are Hearing From God? by Amina Brown. And then after this, we will close in prayer. Uh, this is taken from Sarah Bessie's uh, compilation of prayers called A Rhythm of Prayer. She said, how do you know when you are hearing from God? I didn't know how to explain. It is to explain the butter grit of cornbread to a tongue that just discovered, to a mouth that just discovered it has a tongue. The sound of jazz to ears that only ever thought they'd be lobes of flesh. The sights of sunsets to blinded eyes that in an instant can see. To fail at the ability to give words to how the scent of baked bread can make the mind recall a memory. Every detail of a house, a room, a kitchen, a conversation. Like explaining to a newborn baby, this is what it feels like to be held. My words never felt so small, so useless, so incapable. I wanted to say, put your hand in the middle of your chest. Feel the rhythm there. I wanted to say you will find the holy text in so many places, on crinkly pages of scripture, in dusty hymnals, in the creases of a grandmother's smile, the way she clasps her hands, the way she prays, familiar with reverence as if to dignitary and friend, the way she sings a simple song from her spirit and porches turn to cathedrals. I learned from my great-grandmother how to pray, how to talk to God, how to listen, watching her and the other silver-haired church mothers gather in her living room, worn, wrinkled hands on top of leather Bibles well-traveled. They prayed living room prayers because you don't have to be inside the four walls of a church to cry out to the God who made you. Because no matter where you sing or scream or whisper, God's ears can hear you. And despite what the laws say or what our human flaws say, God's ears don't play favorites. God's ears don't assess bank accounts or social status before they attune themselves to the story your tears or your fears are telling. God's ears are here for the babies, for the immigrant, for the refugee, for the depressed, for the lonely, for the dreamers the widow, the orphan, the oppressed, and the helpless, those about to make a mess or caught in the middle of cleaning one up. Dirt don't scare God's ears. God is a gardener. God knows things can't grow without sun, rain, and soil. I want to tell her to hear God. You have to be willing to experience what's holy in places many people don't deem to be sacred. That sometimes God sits next to you on a bar stool, spilling truth to you like too many beers. That God knows very well the dance we'll do when we love ourselves so little that just about anyone will do. That God cares about the moments we find ourselves, 
on the edge of a cliff, on the edge of sanity, on the edge of society, even when we have less than an inch left of the thread that's been holding us together. I want to tell her God is always waiting, lingering after the doors close and the phone doesn't ring. And when we are finally alone, God is always saying, I love you. I am here. Don't go. Stay, please. I try to explain how God is pleading with us to trust, to love, to listen. That God's voice is melody and bass lines and whisper and thunder and grace. Sometimes when I pray, I think of her. How the voice of God was lingering in her very question. How so many of us, just like her, just like me, just like you, are still searching, still questioning, still doubting. I know I don't have all the answers. I know I never will. That sometimes the best thing we can do is to put our hands in the middle of our chest, feel the rhythm there, turn down the noise in our minds, in our lives, and whisper, God, whatever you want to say, I'm here, I'm listening. Please bow with me. Creator God, we are here and we are listening. We thank you for the ways in which you flow through each one of us and unite us. No matter where we are, no matter what we are doing, God, that you are just a part of our lives, wholly and completely within each one of us. We thank you for the gift of music and the gifts of creativity and the ways in which you have designed us to so intentionally be here for one another. We continue to pray for that perceptiveness to notice those moments in which we have been given gifts to step in and to comfort and to love and to listen. We know all these things come from you, God, and we thank you for this. Amen. In response, let's sing.